Welcome back to the Free by Design podcast. I'm your host, Evan Williams, and this is episode 12. When traveling, I'm very lucky to meet a lot of fellow remote workers and full-time travelers. And one of the things that fascinates me the most is hearing about their journeys and the unique stories of how they got to where they are. On this episode, I speak with Jess Hawking, a remote worker who I met in Oaxaca City in Mexico. Her story is definitely one of the more interesting ones that I've learned about. So I'm really excited to share on this episode a conversation that I recently had with her. We cover topics ranging from off-grid living all the way to bartering. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I know you will too. So here it is. Enjoy. So this is such a bittersweet moment for me because I finally get to interview Jess Hawking, but it's also my last day in Oaxaca City. So Jess, thank you so much for being on the podcast. No, thank you. That actually brought a little bit of tears to my eyes. I was just thinking the same. I don't want you to go. Oh my gosh. I'm glad that you can't see people's faces on podcasts. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. But thank you for having me. I'm very flattered. Um, oh. Yeah, I love that you think that I have a story to tell. It seems pretty insignificant to me. So, um, yeah, very humbled. Thank you. Oh, yeah, no, not only that, but I'm excited to talk about it. Um, but to, just before we get started, I have to ask you, don't use any Aussie slang okay. at all because... <laughs> I mean, I just want to understand it. I mean, well, I suppose you can use the word mate, you, tray, slab, if you, if you want. What do you, you talk about? Heaps? Hey, you heaps? use heaps, oh, heaps, heaps. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I feel like you only talk Australian now. <laughs> I know, right? So maybe I should impose that role myself as well. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Anyway, I have a funny feeling this interview is going to run a little long. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... Um, to get started, mm-hmm. could you tell uh, me just a little bit more about yourself? Um, like, what originally brought you to Mexico, uh, and where? Obviously, like the basics, like where you're from as well. So I am from Australia. I am from New South Wales, which is uh, the state where Sydney is. I grew up in a very small country town, and I always wanted to travel. I've always been super obsessed with Mexico ever since I was in uh well I mean as long as I can remember really there was like a few things that really triggered or like not triggered my love for Mexico because I can't really pinpoint a time but just kind of grew like my interest so I remember being in high school and I was probably in like grade eight what do you guys call that Grade like middle school, school? Yeah, grade, grade school. school? Yeah. I don't know. Elementary yeah. school. Okay, yeah. elementary school. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and I remember studying uh, a lot of Frida Kahlo's work, and I just found her stuff so interesting. And this was before she became like a very like prominent pop culture icon. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just obsessed. I became really obsessed with her life and her work, and was always had this a dream of like living in Mexico City. And I was obsessed with Day of the Dead for as long as I can remember. I always had the little uh, Katrina candy skulls around, like Mexican art around my, uh, around my 
from around my school, around my room, <laughs> just forced my schoolmates to like put up with it. Um, and Enjoy this. <laughs> love it. It's great. It is great. You should love it. Um, and I just, I just was obsessed with Mexican food. So just there were so many elements that just kind of came together and I had this dream of moving to Mexico one day and just sitting on a beach and like designing and that was just a fantasy that I never thought would actually come to fruition and then I backpacked around South Central and North America for about 18 months and I left Mexico to the last just because I had such high expectations and along the way I was really really worried that I wasn't going to love it as much as I had envisioned my whole life Mm -hmm. and then when I arrived it exceeded all of my expectations and I basically never left I've been back and forth to Australia a couple times but pretty much um have like bunkered down here ever since and yeah I just I couldn't see myself living anywhere else and why in particular Oaxaca City funnily enough I didn't actually love Oaxaca the first time I came I came for Day of the Dead a couple of years ago um and I think it was just it was such an overwhelming experience the Day of the Dead itself was one of the highlights if not the highlight of my life that first uh that very first one we I was invited into a um into the cemetery with a family and we sat down on these gravestones and and just spoke about the the cultural traditions and what that meant to the family and that was one of the most special moments of my whole life and uh I think that was one of the things that kept drawing me back but yeah I just I don't know I think I think coming into a city when it's like peak tourist time it was yeah it was a little bit overwhelming so I I was tossing up between moving here and Mexico City and Guanajuato and San Cristobal Mm. but it was kind of like a bit of a process of elimination Mexico City I loved but I was thinking you know I could live in any city anywhere it's just another city Guanajuato was um just the food wasn't as great and I think San Cristobal was beautiful and a similar thing the food wasn't as great and not that that's like, you know, a huge determining factor, but once you've been to Oaxaca and experienced the food here, it's like hard to compare against others. I'm just, I'm um, laughing because I'm taking a bus in like, <laughs> what, eight hours to San Cristobal and it's like, the food sucks. <laughs> it's, I no, mean, comparatively, it, yeah, it sucks, but it's, it's still great. I mean, it, it still makes it food. It's so hard to compare anything to, to the food in Oaxaca. Yeah. So it's, it, it really is incredible. For sure. And I think it's just a very livable city. I loved Mm -hmm. that people spoke Spanish to me first, as opposed to a lot of other places in Mexico where they would see the color of my skin and just speak English to me, whereas people don't care about that here in Oaxaca. Even if they know that you don't speak perfect English and they speak perfect English, they'll still speak Spanish with you. I think that there's a bigger tolerance for people who are trying to immerse themselves. And that's really what I wanted. I wanted to immerse myself and feel like I was living in Mexico. So for me getting involved in ceramics, getting involved in, um, you know, the natural dyes that come and originate from this area and speaking the language and learning about Indigenous cultures um, and traditions. So for me, it was kind of like a no-brainer. I was like, Oaxaca, it is. Yeah, no that's, that's cool. I'm so glad that you found something that's that's um, providing this for you because it, you do often come across people that... that kind of target different areas for mm, not so great reasons and the reasons why and what you're looking for out of a place are really um, 
uh, it's, it's just it's coming from a different place. You want to understand, you want to learn the language, the culture. You want to be immersed. So it's it's a it's just a better uh, approach, in my opinion, because you're actually trying to learn and, and and understand things more. Where other people are just looking for like a cheap place mm-hmm. or like just to be in like warm climate or something like that. So that's that's. I really mean, definitely cool. can't complain about the warm climate. That's. It's gonna be a For it's sure. gonna be a draw card. Yeah, but it's not the main thing, which is which is the important thing. Cool. So as you know, this podcast is all about simple living. Um, because well, I'm sort of a simple guy. No. <laughs> yeah, surprise, what? surprise. <laughs> but um, you had a really unique experience um, with simple living as a child. So I was wondering, could you describe just a bit of what your experience was like growing up? Sure. So I grew up in an area called the Hunter Valley, which is about a four to five hour drive outside of Sydney. It's very rural. Um, my parents came from Sydney and both of them craved a very a simpler life. So they set up camp on this absolutely bare property when I was just just born. And then they built everything themselves. So my dad That's built incredible. the house. Um, you know, all of our, our farmland, my mom did all of the gardening. We always had a very overgrown, uh, garden. We could just run out, you pick herbs and fruit and vegetables. And it was just, we just had everything. We lived completely off the grid. Um, we had solar, we had a really outdated solar system for like, oh, a decade and a half, I think, and it would always run out when the sun went down. It was it wouldn't never retain any energy. So as soon as the sun was down, lights were out, which means no electricity. Um, and so we lived in a very makeshift. Uh, I don't even know. I think building is quite a generous word. <laughs> <laughs> Shelter. Um, my dad was always in the process of building like our big proper house so in the interim uh, we had this kind of just shed-esque situation that was quite open to the elements and my brother and brothers and I would share a caravan for the first 10 years of my life and then I snuck off into a garden shed a tin garden shed that was used for storage when I was about 10 or 11 and um, I was really scared that my mum and dad would um, would discover that I'd started moving all my toys in there. So I used to hide them in all these places because I was like, oh, you know, I'm, like, I'm so young. This is their space. And mom and dad found out that I was doing that. And they were like, do you want to move in there? And it was the best day of my life, Evan. I still remember it so vividly. And they let me paint the shed all these different colors and um, just go wild in there. And it was just my little safe haven. But it was, um, it was always freezing cold in, in winter when it so sometimes it would get down to like minus eight degrees celsius oh, so i don't know what that is in fahrenheit but it's pretty cold yeah. it's below freezing and in summer it would get you know as close to 50 degrees celsius so not having any kind of heating or cooling system and being in a tin shed like you really it was essentially like living um living outside and one year i um <laughs> it was really windy and my little tin door ran off well, blew off into the into the elements, crumpled up like it was just you know aluminium foil and just disappeared. And I tried to bring it back, and it was it was never to be rehinged. 
So for years, I just had this open door and I would see like kangaroos popping past. There was like a snake in my roof one time. Um, Yeah, very open to the elements. So, um, I mean, I could kind of go on forever about like all the different I could sit and listen forever (laughs) as well. That's so incredible. So yeah, it was interesting. Um, So what was living, I mean, you kind of, you kind of talked about what it was like to grow up off grid, Mm -hmm. but so like, what, what would you say are like the biggest challenges and benefits, like the top challenge and the top benefit? I think the biggest challenge was, mm, I mean, even now it's still quite off the grid, not having accessibility to things around us. Like it was, you know, like a 15 minute drive to the closest petrol station where it was like a town of like 200 people and there was no phone service and even now like my parents have wi-fi but it's very limited so being quite disconnected from the world as a teenager was quite hard Mm. um oh i mean i don't think it was hard i think it was just like i wouldn't even really call it a challenge i think it was probably this is the thing i liked about it the least at the time i think that probably the biggest challenge was the elements so you know having to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and you would have like this big dolphin torch. I don't know if you guys know what dolphin torches are, but they're really <laughs> big, hefty, heavy um, torches that you would use on like, you know, like a ship or something. So you all had those uh, like... Like flashlight. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So a heavy duty flashlight. No Aussie slang. Oh, sorry. I don't know. I don't Torches. know. I don't know what's a, like, what's a brand. <laughs> no, I suppose, and what's... <laughs> that's, yeah, I suppose that's not slang per se. But, I don't okay. know what you guys So it's like, it's like a big like spotlight flashlight. Yes. Yes, thing. exactly. Okay. So we all, everyone in the family had one of those. Um, so, you know, if you needed to yeah, use the bathroom in the middle of the night, you, I would like leave my shed and run to the bathroom, which was another makeshift um building uh you know probably like 100 meters away and you would have to kind of like run back and being a kid and like hearing rustling in the in the bushes and stuff was always um pretty intense and then having to shower or bath in that like for a few years we just had baby baths and we would just have them like sitting one in the other and like you would sit in one and put your feet in the other I actually have a great photo of um, my dad is like a grown man you can't say anything but my mom came in and just took a photo because I guess she thought it was hilarious because my dad is you know, this like the tallest guy that I know and he's having this bath and these baby baths and we would boil <laughs> kettles of water and pour it in and it would be like boiling hot and then it would be freezing cold and boiling hot. And so um, that stuff was always really challenging, but I think I didn't see it any other way. It was just like, I don't know, we never really complained. No, I, I'm sure you complained about it, but it wasn't a thing that we didn't I don't know didn't accept it was you know it was just how it was um but I also think that that stuff has been the most rewarding because I'm very tolerant now of pretty much any environment um you know snakes and spiders don't don't phase me if there's electricity that goes out it doesn't phase me I'm pretty happy to just have a door in my house that's a nice luxury (laughs) um so I think it's made me very tolerant um and very adaptable. Like yeah. there's really very rarely a situation that I'm in where I'm miserable or scared because I'm like, ah, I've done it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Super resilient after an experience like that. That's incredible. Um, so what do you miss most about it then? I actually miss, I miss being off the grid. Um, you I, do? Oh, I do actually, you know, I think as an adult, you enter the workforce and 
being a nomad, which is such a brilliant job, like you're very connected to the internet and you're so tapped in all the time. So I love going back now and being completely away from communication. Like no one can call me. I'm like, oh, sorry. It's funny how that, <laughs> like, that switch, right? Yeah. yeah. But I think it's, I guess it's, yeah, being a teenager, you want to be immersed in that stuff. And then yeah. as an adult, I guess when you kind of live and breathe technology, it's nice to take a step back. But the thing I miss the most is just the access to glorious fruits and vegetables, just fresh, organic, grown in the garden. And, you know, my mom just coming home every day from school, my mom and dad had just like made this the most amazing, amazing, delicious food. And and we were very conservative of our, of our um, food scraps. So if we didn't have, if we had any kind of like bones left over from any meat or vegetable peels or anything we would give them to our dogs and then if the dogs didn't eat it we would give it to the sh- uh, the chickens I almost said sheep then <laughs> did not have sheep um we would give it to the chickens and if the chickens didn't eat it then we would compost it and so I miss that recyclable living where there's so much waste here you know and and being so off the grid and not having access to just running down the road and buying even just like a bottle of water or anything we didn't have waste um we didn't have a lot of trash. Um, yeah, we always had food scraps. So I miss that. I mean, I feel very guilty and wasteful uh, in life now, even, you know, in a restaurant, if there's like, I, I'm a vegetarian, so I don't eat meat, but if there's anyone that like leaves a bone, I still have this innate urge to kind of just like chuck it in my bag and like take it with. But yeah, yeah so that, yeah, that stuff is, I miss. Yeah, no, that's, I think it's just good. Um, good practice and it's really nice i'm like i'm honestly torn between what would be like the ideal um environment to be growing up in because there's some like really essential things to learn um by living that way so that you actually carry that forward because you're right there is a lot of waste um all over the all over the place Mm -hmm. unfortunately but what I was really interested in, um, I didn't realize that your parents were previously in Sydney and they decided to move. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know what was what was the their original um, like push to do that? Um, well, I think I think they're both very connected to nature. I. I, I often describe them as hippies, but not in the sense, like the traditional stereotypical sense. I think they're both very open-minded, accepting, loving people, and they just don't really conform to a lot of the expectations that society puts on them or on us. And so they've, you know, they kind of just always like worked when they wanted to work and enjoy life outside of that. And they still kind of live that way now and they're both very good cooks um my mum is like great at baking and she's really good at herbal medicines and and like natural therapies and stuff so and my dad used to be like a chef a cook in Sydney so I guess it was probably just a no-brainer for them and by my dad being a builder at the time you know he really wanted to do that and my mum was an avid gardener so it just they I guess they wanted more space and I think I think part of it was probably also um, like a financial decision. It was a lot cheaper to live and my parents didn't have a lot of money at the time. Um, I know that they purchased the property with an inheritance that my my father received. Um, So 
I think a lot of it was just wanting space and then and then just kind of like the available options for purchasing property at the time um yeah I don't think that they were very familiar with the the space like the area of the Hunter Valley that was very new to them we moved up there uh, without knowing anyone so yeah it was a fresh fresh slate that's intense that's I would be overwhelmed to do something like that and I'm I'm really curious and fascinated by it because it's an interesting move and it's it's one that I think a lot of people are interested in as well um I mean, just look on like YouTube or social media, and it's a lot of people that are kind of making a similar um, exit from like the hustle bustle of mm-hmm. city life and, and work life to find something a little bit more peaceful and simple. Mm-hmm. So that's really cool. It, it seems like it happened organically, which is amazing, really. Yeah. Well, I was very young at the time, but from what I remember, it was it just seemed like a bit of a no brainer, and I couldn't imagine them living any other way now. Like, really? I cannot imagine them living in the city now even though that's where they're from, but yeah. That's cool. That's really interesting. Um, so I want to switch over to travel. I'm mm-hmm. just talking about travel a little bit. So when did you actually leave Australia and start traveling? And did you go right into full-time travel when you did leave? Hmm. I did a small amount of backpacking through Southeast Asia for about four months when I was 21, 22. Mm-hmm. And then I did a few little trips here and there uh, over the next few years. And then I think I can't, I'm so bad with numbers. We're in 2020 now. Happy New Year. (laughs) 2019, I was here. 2018, I think it was 27 to 2016. 2016, I quit my job and went backpacking and I didn't know how long I was going to be gone for. I had been working in media in Sydney. So you were what, like 25, mid-20s-ish? Yeah, okay. 25, I guess. Yeah. Cool. And uh, thank you. I mm-hmm. needed that assistance. <laughs> I have a creative mind, not a mathematical... Math- oh, my gosh. Can't even say that. <laughs> <laughs> Math- you can't even say that. Mathematical. That's <laughs> not even a word. Uh, anywho, um, so I've been working in Australia, in Sydney, uh, in media, which is what I studied at university for, like, on and off for five years, like, throughout my around my traveling schedule and I've always been kind of like the the default graphic designer in all of my jobs so I I wanted to be able to travel and work and I knew that much after my backpacking trip in Asia so I kind of made it my goal when I came back to go back and study graphic design or something that could enable me to move around a bit more so I did that I did a quick like one year graphic design course just to get qualified and learn how to do some things professionally rather than uh, the amateur techniques that I'd been taking. And then I left, yeah, that mid-year was thinking I'd be gone. I was hoping I'd last 12 months. Um, my savings, I thought, would allow me to, to last about 12 months. They lasted me about five. And I knew I wasn't ready to go home. So I had been doing some small like pro bono projects along the way and I just started documenting pretty much any time I was working anytime I was on the computer in an amazing scenic spot I would take a photo and upload it to to Instagram and Facebook and just be like just working while traveling Mm. Uh, you know me I you know I was probably working for free I was probably not even I don't know I could have been filling out my like budgeting spreadsheet or something but I just wanted to tell people that I was working and I wasn't just backpacking and like 
Um, and pride issue. Yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> no, I, 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 you know, I wanted more work, and I, I wasn't yeah. like advertising my services or anything. So I was just like, and I know the strength of word of mouth. Um, sure. You know, it's a lot of there's always that saying that they always tell you like it's not who you know, no, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I think it's definitely a, a good mixture of both. So I was just guess I was trying to broadcast that I was working, and it worked, and I started getting jobs as I went along and um that kind of propelled me to be able to travel for about a year on extra for that so about a wow. yeah about a year and a half I was going for in total and then I I went back to Australia for a couple of months and then I moved over here permanently and I've been kind of uh stagnantly living in Oaxaca ever since stagnantly stagnantly <laughs> no that's that covers a lot of what I wanted to talk about um so with that, I'm trying to think where I want to go into because there's so many different things like the bartering, the pro bono, and like your actual journey. So let's actually talk about that. What was your journey um, here in in the Americas? Like, did you did you actually spend much time in Central America, or did you just spend the majority of your time in Mexico? So my time was kind of split by thirds. I spent the first five or six month in, months in South America, then the next six months in Central, and then the next six in North America, including Mexico. So there were many times when I wanted to go, well, actually the opposite, when I didn't want to go home, but I would run out of money. And a lot of that was work running out, um, but a huge amount of it was clients paying me late. Mm. which is something that I'm sure every freelancer has experienced at different points in their time. And so I would often budget some of my funds and I would say, okay, I know I can travel for two months on this and then, and then this job will finish and I'll get paid. But it often didn't work out like that. It would be, I would travel for the two months, be waiting patiently for money to come in and it would take another couple of weeks or months or whatever. So I ended up traveling a lot slower in that during those periods I was previously, I was going quite, quickly moving every few days to try and cover up as much ground as I could from Chile to Canada but I was forced to slow down every time I ran out of money so a couple of times my my little brother would bail me out tying me over with funds but uh, after asking him a couple of times and even though I would pay him back immediately I think the pride in having to you know submit defeat to baby bro baby bro exactly (laughs) I was like no you know I can do this on my own so I, I stopped asking him after the first couple of times and then I just started asking the people around me if they needed graphic design work and I would exchange work for uh, a house and food. So I had some of the most amazing experiences. I think I did that in uh, a coffee farm in El Salvador. I did it at a, a vegan cafe in Guatemala. I did it in a, in a hostel in... Costa Rica and a couple of places in Mexico as well so that was always really enriching and I think there's also something super liberating not having any exchange of money like I couldn't do anything outside of just kind of surviving and yeah it was really really freeing so that enabled me to travel a lot longer than I expected um, which was I felt so um, lucky that I had that skill set because it made me quite uh, indispensable to some companies like a lot of places um, especially like hostels will take volunteers 
for a bed, but because I had that extra little skill set, sometimes they would let me manage and get, you know, like a private room for free and all my meals paid for and all these extra kind of perks that came along with it. So it Mm. allowed me to live a very comfortable and like lush life with no money exchange. So yeah, it was really, it was really great. I was very lucky. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like the pairing of the two. So like the resilience that you've picked up from your childhood growing up, as well as these, um, these new graphic design skills is just like a perfect combination. So it's like, you can basically just fire along and, and, uh, make do. So that's incredible. Um, and I love that it made you feel uh, like free as well and independent, that you didn't need to actually be receiving like a salary or money uh, mm-hmm. in like a formal sense. For that's sure. Yeah, that's awesome. So I'm going to ask one last question on travel and then switch over to another topic. So mm-hmm. what's been your favorite experience traveling so far? I think the aforementioned Day of the Dead was pretty special. Yeah, that was amazing. And, oh my gosh, there's been so many. It's so hard. I I actually just had a friend stay with me. She just left yesterday. She is a friend from the States. And we met while hiking up a volcano and camping up there in Guatemala. And so... That was a pretty special experience if everyone, anyone's ever been to Antigua. I'm sure you've heard of the hike to Akatenango and you can overlook another volcano that erupts. And that's just, uh, that was just so magical. Um, that was really, really phenomenal. And then, yeah, all the times when I got stuck and, oh my gosh, I forgot the best one. <laughs> oh my gosh. I and, knew there was one hiding. Yes. So, so you know me too well. I for it. Um, so my, and this was actually another one of the times when I ran out of money. So I was in Belize a few years ago and I wanted to cross over into Guatemala. And it was one of the times when I'd been waiting a few months for the money to come in. And I, and I was down to like my last 300 Australian dollars. So at the time it was probably like 200, 250 US and I knew that I needed to cross a border into Guatemala and I had a workaway lined up in the, like the following month. So I knew that I was going to be working for free and had a place to stay. So I had this kind of like few weeks to tie me over and I was like, okay, do I do the smart thing and use this money to get across to Antigua and make sure I actually get there? Or <laughs> do I spend my last you know few hundred dollars on this tour that I'd heard about and people... Uh, were always telling me about doing this cave tour in Belize. It's on the border of Belize and Guatemala in an area called San Ignacio. And it's called the ATM cave tour. And I it's I think it's like the Acton Tunichino cave or something like that. Um, and I'd heard amazing things. And it's this untouched cave that's open to the public, but only a certain amount of people can go in every day. And there's all these amazing artifacts from these... Uh, sacrificial rituals from or sacrificial journeys from the Mayans and oh it's just it was phenomenal and so I I made the irresponsible decision to go on that tour and it was the best choice of my life it left me with about $50 in my account but the guide that I met that day was looking for someone to design his website so I said to him if 
if I design your website, will you house me? He had a guest house, house me, feed me and take me on tours every day. And he did. And so I got to visit that cave. I've seen it now three times. I just went back again recently. And it is the best thing that I've ever done in that cave. And if everyone go to Belize, check that cave out. Um, and he was, he was amazing. You know, he, him and his girlfriend, they would pick me up from their guest house. I was staying in his full guest house by myself. And uh, they would take me to breakfast. Um, and then we would just go canoeing or kayaking or caving, uh, horse riding, um, bird watching. Oh, it was just the best. And you can't pay for those experiences. And now I have, you know, a friend in a family in, in Belize. And yeah, I've been back there. I've sent friends there. And yeah, it's just like the stuff that you can't, you can't buy that stuff. Yeah, I and remember you was, telling me about this. It's such a great story. Good, good, cool. I, yeah. yeah, can't believe I, I didn't pick on that one before. Yeah, I think that's a good that's a good one to end that topic on. Mm. Um, I just have a couple more questions. So, okay. a bit about remote work. Now that you've been doing it for so long, what again? Like, what are the things that you find to be most challenging about the lifestyle? And and with the caveat being, um, I I also have a remote job, and it is. It is like a blessing. Like it is just mm-hmm. not a day goes by that I, I don't feel grateful. It's it's a it's a it's a great lifestyle, mm-hmm. but for sure, like I said earlier, with a lot of things, a, a lot of um, certain lifestyles are glamorized and not mm-hmm. often um, are the like the 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 negative side or the challenges discussed. So I'm really curious as to, to kind of talk a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. I would also like to caveat this with or mirror your comment I think one of the reasons for me that I um, really connected to you in the early stages of us uh, becoming friends is that I really loved that you were one of those people who heaps nice well that's generous no no, but we shared this um, gratitude for our lifestyle Mm. and I think that is so special and while we can objectively talk about the challenges I think that um yeah you're a great human in that we're like you know we can't complain um in saying that um (laughs) thank you um yeah of course there's challenges like anything I mean I think one of the one of the one something about being a freelancer and I've been trying really hard in the last year to distance myself from this is that I feel like you kind of never switched off Especially because I, um, I, I work for Australian clients, which means that they're awake pretty much while we're asleep mm-hmm. and vice versa. So I really struggled in the first couple of years to detach myself from that. And I, you know, I would get an email while I was out and leave and just run straight home and, and do that to make, make sure I was like meeting deadlines and keeping clients happy. And um, I've definitely tried to change that a little bit more and give myself a bit more space and, and boundaries. But there still is, of course, that element of, of having to, you know, take responsibility. There's not necess- it's not necessarily like a, a nine-to-five job where if you have a sick day or if you've got a personal thing on, you can't just leave and, like, let someone else pick up the slack. Like, you just still have to do it. So it doesn't matter if you're sick or you're unhappy or you have things to do or anything. Like, you still have to do the work, which is, like, I don't think that that's a bad thing. I'm not complaining about that, but it is, you know, there's been times where I've been, I had dengue fever um, for like five days and was traveling to Australia and back and I still had to 
like work on the plane and and you know there's there's no one to kind of like step in so that can be challenging creating distance between um the job and your personal life and not letting that bleed into one or the other um I think being away from family but I mean I guess that's more living rather than the lifestyle like just living away is like is quite challenging sometimes um I'm very close to my family and my friends back in Australia so making that choice constantly to live away from them kind of sometimes seems um a bit odd I'm like why am I doing this to myself I miss them so much um but again yeah I wouldn't trade it I wouldn't trade it for the world um yeah, I think that's it, you know, not being able to kind of switch off and separate my, my personal from my work life sometimes, Yeah, which I'm mm, not going to... Absolutely. I, th- I feel, especially with, like, the flex hours mm-hmm. is, is where that kind of comes in and, and the time zone difference. I did have experience in um, staying for an extended amount of time in Europe, and I was, my, like, what my work day would typically be, all of my colleagues were were asleep in the in the US. Right, so yeah. it's yeah, it's I definitely get that. Yeah. Cool. Um so last wrapping up questions. So now that you've experienced all of these different places that you you've been so lucky to travel to and experience um and the style of living like remote kind of settling down into a city, off grid, on grid, all of that. Um what would be most ideal for you for I guess like a, I don't know what what you envision to be like the ideal scenario for a living situation I mean I think I have this urge at the moment and, and you and I have spoken about this a lot personally I, I think I'm a little bit of a commitment phobe in that as soon as I have to lock down and someone tells me I can't leave, I freak out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like recently I just signed a, a six-month lease and I, I have a dog here now. So I, I feel like a little bit trapped in Mexico, but then I also really want to settle and I don't want to leave. So I love living near the ocean. I love living near cities um, and mountains. And I think, you know, that's probably a lot of people like all of them. And I really do. So you just want it all. I want it all, you know. I just <laughs> I want it all. <laughs> just so spoiled and <laughs> um, no, so I think uh, something that I've loved talking to you about lately is is for me what is what seems like kind of like a solution to that would be to uh, live a bit of a van life and have that nest that is your your home, that is your van, but then still be able to move around a bit more. So having a bit of everything, I would love to have a base here in Oaxaca, which is surrounded by mountains, but then have the ability to go and check out um, the beaches, you know, the South beaches and just go down there for a couple of weeks, get a fix and then come back. And um, I get a lot of creative inspiration and, and productivity uh, from from cities. So kind of they, they energize me quite a bit and make me want to do a bit of work, which is great um for like a limited time I think and then it's also important to kind of get back out into nature so Mm -hmm. having a lifestyle if we can have it all I think van life seems like a pretty good solution to that so that's something that I'm I'd I'd love to work toward in this in this year yeah 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 I think I it seems like it's not something for quite everyone um but with how I uh, know you to be it seems like it might be something that would be a good fit and kind of makes sense as well um, I mean you know my uh, paired back life mm-hmm. as well 
I'm probably kind of geared up for something like that as well. But no, that's cool. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and then last question is just any final thoughts that you want to share at all about anything that we talked about? Um, and I also like to finish the interviews with a bit about like what inspires you to do what you're doing. Mm. So if you have any thoughts around that as well. I mean, I feel like I could truly go on forever about the way that I grew up like living with my parents. There's so many elements that I still didn't I could listen to it for like as well. touch on. You know, like <laughs> uh, one of my favorite things about growing up where I did was that we had an an outhouse. I don't know what you guys it's like an it's like an outside toilet. Yeah. Um that like sat out on the valley and looked over everything and um yeah, you know, it was literally just like a seat without walls that my dad would have to clean out with a, a spade every few months. Not so great for him. Yeah, he didn't love it as much. But just, like, stuff like that. I mean, there were a couple of times when we saw snakes along the way. Um, so it was pretty intense. But, I mean, yeah, I could talk about that stuff forever. But anything else? Hmm. I don't know. I guess I'm trying not to talk about my dog because I feel like that sucks up a lot of my life. I feel like everyone's like, oh, Jess and her dog again. Yeah. Um, but we are sitting here recording next to uh, my pride and joy, which is <laughs> right on top of us, basically. <laughs> which is like my little defective dog that I found like six months ago here in Oaxaca. So she's a massive part of me staying here. Um, uh, which, yeah, I think she's not not important to the story. Um, it's a key she's a key player. I wish that there was a photo of this. Like you just, she's just literally sitting uh, as close to us as possible. As soon as we, but, as soon as we shut down the uh, the recording, I'll take a snapshot and share uh, it on the uh, Instagram account. Phenomenal. Um, something about inspiration. I think the people here, like you, I get a lot of inspiration from you. Um, you've made me think about my consumption as well. I can dive back into this that consumerist life even though that's not how I grow up grew up it's um I think here it's very easy to get stuck into purchasing like a lot of the artisanal objects and you know I being a designer I am very visual and I like having my creature comforts I like having you know great tapestries around and phenomenal fabrics like hand woven hand dyed naturally dyed clothing and you know hand woven baskets and handmade ceramics and and that stuff brings me a lot of joy but I think since knowing you it makes me really consider all of my purchase decisions which is really great um a couple of my friends here are so giving and generous with their knowledge and their skills and their time and that brings me a lot of inspiration I think that there is a lot of really beautiful souls in Oaxaca um both local and expats and um people's generosity here um to yeah share and collaborate really really brings me a lot of inspiration just the city itself and I think that's one massive reason why I've stayed also I think you know there's probably one time every day and I know that you feel the same way about this I'll just stop and see you know colors as far as you can see on different colors on, on all the walls and all the houses and then just blanketed in just the most clear blue skies and cobblestone streets and energy and like people selling things that they've cooked in their house like on the street and having the mountains in the background and it's just so overwhelmingly beautiful like it hits me sometimes I turn around and look up and I'm just like it's just it's unreal how beautiful it is 
and the energy that, that there is in the streets. So I get a lot of inspiration. It just gave me a little goosebumps. Like I, <laughs> um, and yes, yeah, waking up every morning to the sunrise and, and my dog sitting by me, I just, I'm so happy to just wake up like that. And I'm like, yes, let's, let's go. Let's do this. Yeah. So jump out of bed. Absolutely. Yes. With yeah. a smile on your face. That's awesome. I had a similar experience the other day. It's actually a picture that's on the uh, channel's Instagram account. Mm-hmm. Um, it just over in Halatlaco, I just got stopped dead in my tracks because mm-hmm. of the beauty. It was incredible. Um, the, it really, it's hard to, to describe in words. Um, For sure. But it is, it's such a vibrant and, and magical place. Mm-hmm. It really is magical. And I think Mexico as a whole feels really magical sometimes. It can be so many different things, crazy, tranquil, but... Yeah, I think magical is, is is a pretty good description for a lot of the places yeah. that, that I've been in Mexico. For sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jess. Um, I had a really, really fun time talking to you and hearing about your, particularly your uh, your time growing up off grid <laughs> and your travels. So thank you so much for taking time for the podcast. Uh, thank you, Evan. Yeah, I absolutely. appreciate you every single day that I see you. So um, yeah, I think I love what you're doing and I love that you're always giving to people and not expecting anything. So thank you for doing this with me. No problem. Just time for me to catch my bus. Yeah, (laughs) get out of here. (laughs) Okay, so I hope you enjoyed my chat with Jess. She's such a resourceful person. Being able to dive headfirst into bartering when she needed to during her travels was just so resilient. Honestly, facing the same scenario, I wouldn't have been able to be so strong and adaptable. And also, her perspective of growing up off-grid is so unique. So often, things like off-grid living and sustainable living are glamorized on social media. So it's so refreshing to hear a raw and genuine perspective on the topic. I'll certainly work on getting Jess back on the podcast again in the future sometime soon. But as always, keep cutting the noise and make room for what's essential. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and don't want to miss any future episodes, please subscribe to my podcast. 